right, we'll go ahead and go to Galatians chapter 4 tonight. Now, anybody know what today is? Today is the first day of Hanukkah, and um, I started tradition, I believe this would be the fifth year where on Hanukkah I'd always preach against the Jews, and I'm not really skipping it this year. This series I'm doing, it covers a lot of stuff about the Jews, so we're getting plenty of digs in on them you know, in the last three weeks. I'm probably going to do one more week on this subject, so I'm not really going to do like the typical ones I've done in the past, but you'll get plenty, you'll get plenty of stuff from these messages. We'll have a little bit tonight, but I just wanted to uh, let you all know. I didn't forget about that, but I just feel like we've, we're getting to cover a lot of that stuff in these messages, but um, we're going to continue talking about historicism versus futurism. And tonight, I want to teach you all a very important principle in the Bible when it comes to uh, Bible prophecy, something that is very important that you understand, something that the preterists miss. And this is real easy to prove from the Scripture. I am literally just going to scratch the surface on this subject tonight. There is so much of this in the Bible, and I, I think it's a really important uh, interesting subject, and that is on dual fulfillments. Dual fulfillments in prophecy. The Bible is packed full of prophecies that actually have two fulfillments. And I do believe that what took place in AD 70 with the destruction of Jerusalem, I do believe that that was, a, in many ways, a fulfillment of prophecy, but it wasn't the full fulfillment. I believe that that was a shadow of what was to come. And the preterists, they, they're not going to like that. They're not going to accept that. But when you see just how many things, examples there are in the Bible, it's going to be really hard to deny that that was only a shadow of what was coming. I think, I think, uh, I think this is going to prove it tonight. But look what it says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. It says, Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise, which things are an allegory. For these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth the bondage, which is Agar. We see the story of Ishmael and Isaac was an allegory of what was to come. We're not going to take time to read it, but go back and read the story where they were having the uh, celebration for Isaac when he was weaned. And remember how um, Ishmael was persecuting Isaac. And Sarah got mad and she told Abraham to cast out the bondwoman. She was not, that he, you know, Ishmael was not going to be heir with her son. Now, what is, what's that all about? Is it just a story in the Bible? Actually, according to Galatians, and the Zionists aren't going to like this, but this is according to Galatians. He said that's an allegory. You know what that's a picture of? That's a picture of the Jews... Ishmael persecuting the children of promise, Isaac, the Christians. And as a result of that, the Jews, Ishmael, being cast out and not being heir with the son of promise, the Christians. Now, they don't like that, but they need to take that up with the Apostle Paul, who wrote that under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. The Jews are Ishmael, and the Christians are Isaac. They're always like, it's all about the Muslims. You know, Ishmael and the Muslims are hand against every man, every man's hand against them. Well, the Apostle Paul said that about the Jews, that they are contrary to all men. He didn't say that about the Muslims. He said that about the Jews. 
So, you know, right there's some digs in the Jews right there. But I say all that, too, in honor of Hanukkah. And also in honor of Hanukkah tonight, we're going to be actually looking at some passages from the book of the Maccabees, which is where Hanukkah comes from. And I'm, we're not going to go to the, the, uh, the Hanukkah story. And no, I do not think Maccabees belongs in the Bible at all. Okay? But I do want to show you some things for historical reasons there. But don't anybody go leave here saying I give credibility to the Apocrypha and think it should be in the Bible. I do not think it should be in the Bible. But I, I bring this passage up too to show that the Bible is full of stories and prophecies that were pictures of things that were to come. And that just story about Ishmael and Isaac, that was meant to show us something that was to come between the Jews and the Christians. And there are many things like that in the Bible. And we're going to see some examples of this. And, what, and like I said, one of the major proofs that preterists use to prove prophecy has been fulfilled is there are a ton of similarities to what happened in 70 AD to what Jesus prophesied in the Olivet Discourse. There's a lot of similarities. Did you know that whole uh, you know, a siege on Jerusalem, that lasted seven years? Did you know that in the midst of that seven years, there was an event that looked an awful lot like the abomination of desolation? And, I mean, isn't that kind of a coincidence there? I mean, surely... You know, that's too much of a coincidence. That had to be it. You know, Jesus said this generation shall not pass. And we talked about that last week. And I'm going to say more about that uh, this week, too. But there are. There's many similarities. But you know what? There's also differences, too. There's some real differences that we cannot ignore. Okay? When the Bible prophesies things, it gets it right. Everything right. It's all got to be fulfilled. When Jesus comes back, he's going to fulfill all the things the prophets talk about. Not just some of the things. And all of the things have not been fulfilled yet. I still haven't got any of these people to tell me when the wolf's going to you know, lie down with the lamb. You know, the, you know, nobody knows when that is. You know, you know, when, when did the child you know, play on the hole of the ass? You know, when did that happen? How did that happen? They always want to spiritualize these things. You know, the, and the preterists, uh, you know, what they end up doing with all these differences, we're like, well, when did this happen? I don't see this here in place. They always just spiritualize it, and they do not take prophecy literal. They never take it literal. You know, for example, the sun being dark and the moon turned to blood. They say that's, that was the destruction of Jerusalem. I actually believe it's going to be the sun dark and the moon turned to blood. That's what, that's what I believe. You know, and then, you know, for all the seven seals. They spiritualize the seven seals. You know, when was a quarter of the population wiped out? When did that happen? You know, when, when did all these things take place? They don't take these things literal. And I believe these prophecies are literally going to be fulfilled. And they especially like to spiritualize everything that Revelation teaches. Because in Revelation, it's super clear that what's going on is global, not just local. They try to say, well, it was all about Israel. It was all about the known world. They come up with all these excuses. But folks... I believe it's going to be as it's written in Revelation, and it is going to be all the world. This isn't something that's just going to be going on in Jerusalem. So what I want to do in this message, I want to tell you how to look at these prophecies that appear to be fulfilled, and then give you my explanation of what happened, and then I'm going to spend the rest of the message just proving this concept of dual fulfillment. Because I do. I believe what happened in 70 A.D., 
was, in a way, a fulfillment. And often in the Bible, you'll see a prophecy given that it, it seemed to not come true. You know, that, it, that's what it looked like. It seemed like it didn't come true exactly as prophesied, but then later in history, you see it come to pass exactly as prophesied. And that's the way it usually goes. Usually, in prophecy, there was like a shadow fulfillment that happened early on, not long after the prophecy, but then way later, you'll see a literal fulfillment just like it was prophesied. We're going to see several examples of that. And I believe what happened in 70 AD was a shadow of what was to come. But it wasn't literal. What happened in 70 AD literally does not follow what the Bible prophesied. It's close. There's similarities in some ways. But there's major differences too. Jesus did not return in the clouds and send his angels to gather his elect from the four wind. That didn't happen. Dead, the dead in Christ did not rise during that time. That's, that's a big difference right there. And I believe that that literally is going to happen. And so let's see if, if that, what I'm saying there about 70 AD, is consistent with how Bible prophecy has been fulfilled in the past. And there, there's so many examples I can give, but I'm going to kind of just give uh, some more you know, some of the more common, more popular ones that, because um, there, there's, there's a lot that are pretty deep. And I think these are the real easy ones. So first off, go to Genesis chapter 2. Let's look at an example of a prophecy that there was kind of a shadow fulfillment, but a literal fulfillment that came later. Or an example, too, some of these examples are where it didn't look like the prophecy came to pass, as the prophecy said, but later it did. So in Genesis chapter 2, in... Verse 16, find it here. So that God puts Adam and Eve in the garden. You all know the story. He put the tree in the midst of the garden. Told uh, He told them not to eat it. And it says in verse 16, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now let me ask you, in the day that Adam ate it, did he surely die? Did he die? Not physically, but did he die spiritually? Yes. But here, the thing is, it says the day you eat it, you're surely going to die. So, you know, what's going on here? Well, I believe, yes, Adam did spiritually die the day he ate it. But you know what? 930 years later, he literally died, didn't he? He physically died. 930 years later, you know, when you look at that prophecy, you know, I'm thinking drop dead. And while it did, that didn't happen on that day, it did happen spiritually, but later it literally happened, just as God said. Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 3. I think this one's really interesting. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14. This is after when God is cursing the serpent. And it says, the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly thou shalt go, and thus shalt thou eat all the day of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now what's that prophecy about? Remember, now we all know the song, it's Christmas. You know, bruising us, the serpent's head. Now, we, now, is that a prophecy about Jesus right there, bruising the head of Satan? You better believe it is. But 
You know what else it is? The part of the curse, God said, I'm going to put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. You know what part of that curse was? We are all naturally creeped out and scared of snakes. That's part of the curse. It's like, why do I, why do I hate snakes so much? God put that in you as a curse. So what do we typically do when we see a snake? You know, we're trying to stomp on its head. We're trying to kill it. You know, and there's all, yeah, there's all those weirdos out there that like snakes, all right? I, I get it. There's, and, and they're weirdos, right? Okay. But at the same time, too, let's just be honest. The weirdos that like snakes, they like them because they, they're tame. You put them out in the wilderness with poisonous snakes, and they walk up on a poisonous snake, and it jumps out. They're not going to be like, oh, boy. Right? You know what they're going to do? They're going to run because there is an instinctive fear. There's an instinctive hostility between man and snakes. It's a, that's part of the curse that God put on them. But you all realize that that's not all God was saying right there. Okay? You know, God's talking that we know that that is a prophecy about Jesus Christ bruising the head of Satan. We know, and he, and, you know, and he says in there too, the seed of a woman. Why did he say that too? Because Jesus Christ was born of a woman. Jesus didn't have that earthly father. There is clearly a prophetic message there too that was fulfilled by Jesus Christ. But there is also that, you know, me, that uh, message there too showing that curse, that hostility between man and snake. So yeah, your, your fear of snakes is normal. And I don't care who you are, I got a poisonous snake up here, and I throw it at you. You're going to scream. You're going to run because you know what that thing can do to you. And you know, I don't care how much you like snakes. You know that snake sees you, it gets it's going to bite you. Why? Because they don't like us either. And there's a battle that's going on. And you know what? I can say in my lifetime, I've had many battles and I've won them all. All right? You know, none of them have killed me yet, and I've I've killed a few snakes in my time, but. Uh, look at ver- Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3. I could spend a whole message just talking about these things. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Now what did that mean? You know what God was saying? In 120 years I'm killing man. That's what he was saying. But... Y'all realize too, when he said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh... His days should be 120 years. God was also shortening the lifespan of man, too. And what do we see happen after the flood? We see the lifespan of man, you know, gradually over time decrease to 120 years. And we don't see people living to 120 years these days. Why, why is that? Because man can't handle that many years. Look at how much trouble we get in with the time we have now. And we and we just we can't handle it. We're too wicked. So right there, that prophecy, I believe it had two meanings right there. God's like, you know, I'm going to kill everybody in 120 years. But then remember, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So God did what He said. He destroyed man after 120 years. But then He also limited man's lifespan to 120 years during that time. Look at Genesis chapter 22, verse 7 8. There's a lot of stuff just with Abraham we could talk about. Um, you know, we, we don't have time to go into all the Abraham stuff. But uh, in verse 7, it says, And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? 
And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them together. Now, when was this fulfilled? Because look at verse 13. It says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram. That's not a lamb. That's a ram. A ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. So note, now this prophecy right here is amazing too because this was, this was a prophetic statement that he made. And the truth is, you could say that ram that was caught was kind of a shadow fulfillment. But it wasn't a literal, literal fulfillment. That wasn't a lamb. But, and notice too that statement, God will provide himself a lamb. Now, what did Jesus do? He provided himself as a lamb to take away our sins. You, there is no doubt about it that right there we kind of see a dual fulfillment of prophecy. You had a not-so-literal fulfillment right there that day in, in this case, but we have the literal fulfillment, you know, years, 2,000 years later when Jesus Christ came to this earth and provided himself as a lamb. That God does that stuff throughout the scriptures. It's, that's one of the amazing things about the word of God. If, uh, look at what it says in Isaiah chapter 7. Here's another uh, a famous one. I figured I'd do this one too. Since it's the Christmas season, we looked at this passage this morning. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now let me ask you, is that just a prophecy about Jesus right there? Because, folks, that's a prophecy about Jesus. There is no doubt about the fact that that is talking about Jesus. But let's keep reading. It says in verse 15, Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Now, when did that happen during Jesus' life? Because, you know, I don't remember that story of the lamb being forsaken of both of her kings. You know why? Because this is not just a prophecy about Jesus. This was a prophecy during that time showing that the land that they abhorred was going to lose both of her kings. And when he's saying, behold, a virgin shall be uh, a child, or uh, shall conceive and bear a son, you could say, because I don't believe that there was a virgin birth back then during that day, but the thing is, this prophecy is kind of giving a time frame. So from the time of a virgin, you know, from going from a virgin to conception and bearing a son, before that child knows the difference between good and evil, the land's going to be forsaken of both their kings. There was a fulfillment of that prophecy that was in that day that was not so literal, but then there was a literal fulfillment of that prophecy with Jesus Christ hundreds of years later. So, uh, once again, it's the more literal fulfillment that always comes later. It's the shadow fulfillment that's similar, you know. And so maybe there was. There was probably during that time a woman who was a virgin who ended up, you know, you know getting married, having a baby. And obviously she didn't stay a virgin but then before, you know, he's just, he's kind of given a time frame in their mind. And that, in fact, came to pass. But the literal fulfillment came to pass with Jesus Christ. 
So that's another example. Another one, turn over to Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. It says, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed unto Balaam and burned incense to graven images. Okay? Now, if you're reading Hosea, what's that talking about when God called his son out of Egypt? That was talking about when God brought Israel out of the land of Egypt, isn't it? But notice, too, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 14, it says, When he arose and took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. That's talking about Hosea right there. So, according to Matthew, that prophecy in Hosea 11 was about Jesus. But, folks, that prophecy was not only about Jesus, because did Jesus, after that, go and sacrifice unto Balaam? No, he didn't. But did Israel do that? Yes, he did. So, we kind of see how that prophecy right there, it clearly had a double meaning. It was talking about when God called Israel out of Egypt, and then went on to talk about what they did, but it was also talking about when God would call literally his son out of Egypt. And that was fulfilled when Jesus went to Egypt and came out of there. So once again, the literal fulfillment, it, they all, it always comes later. But where, where you might see a shadow of it earlier on. Last one we're gonna, we'll look at right now. I don't want to spend too much time on this. We talked about this one not very long ago. We'll go through Zechariah. But Zechariah, Zechariah 12.10, And I will pour upon the house of David, upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplication. And they shall look on me, whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one that mourneth for his only son. And shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. We all know that prophecy. They will look at him when they pierced. John 19.37. And again, another scripture saith, They shall look at him whom they pierced. But, did all the other things happen? Remember we went through Zechariah? All the other things that are talked about in Zechariah, did those things happen when they pierced Jesus and they looked at him whom they pierced? No, they did not. But, we also know in Revelation, it says there, they will look on him whom they pierced. And it says the same thing. Literally, that will be fulfilled in the future when Jesus Christ returns in the clouds and every eye sees him. So, the literal fulfillment of that, you know, is still yet to come. The shadow was fulfilled at Christ's first coming, but the literal fulfillment of it, that is going to come in the future. And just, you know, we don't, we don't even have time to go into examples um, from prophecies against Babylon. Did you know it was prophesied that Babylon was going to be destroyed and that it was going to be completely wiped out and never inhabited again? But... And Babylon was destroyed later. It was completely wiped out in many ways, just like God had said. But did you know Babylon's inhabited today? It didn't all happen exactly as prophesied, but one of these days it will. Same thing, too, if you look at prophecies about Edom, prophecies about many of the other nations. If you're going through Isaiah or Ezekiel, there's a lot of examples of where a shadow of those things was fulfilled during those days. But yet, some of it is still to come in the future. And you could go on and on and on 
with examples of that, another thing you could look at, another interesting study too, is examples of the day of the Lord. There were Old Testament day of the Lords that were a shadow of the day of the Lord that is to come. There, there's, there's no doubt about that. The, all that stuff is real easy to prove. There was a time of Jacob's trouble in the book of Jeremiah that, that happened then. And it's extremely similar to what we see in Matthew chapter 24, although it's not exactly the same. But here, here's the thing. I do believe what happened in, in that day, in Jeremiah's day, was the time of Jacob's trouble. And I do believe that there's still something that is to come that is going to be the more literal fulfillment of that. So there's, you know, there's, 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 so, there's so many examples. And if we have time, uh, I'm hoping to be able to kind of show you a few more uh, examples of this. But i got to make sure I get through uh, some of these main things. So let's go ahead now and shift gears a little bit. And let's look at some prophecies that we have seen fulfilled. Alright? So we haven't seen any prophecies fulfilled. Oh, actually we have. Let me show you some prophecies that we have seen fulfilled. We've seen the shadow fulfillment personally in our own lives. But one of these days we will see the literal fulfillment. So for example, Romans 10.13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now if you when you got saved... You spirit, you saw, you have experienced the shadow fulfillment of that. Are, are we not saved right now? You better believe we're saved right now. I'm saved right now. And I called on the name of the Lord. But, you know, where's the, I believe there's a more literal fulfillment that's to come. Because in, also in Romans chapter 13, verse 11, it says, And thus knowing, that, um, knowing the time that is now high time to wake out of our sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Now, what's that all about? I thought we were already saved. Well, the thing you got to understand, too, about this, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, shall be delivered, shall not make haste. A lot of these are quotes from the book of Isaiah. We don't have time to go back and look at them. And those things sound a lot like physical deliverance, too. And you know what? We've got a physical deliverance that's coming one of these days, don't we? Now, how do we know if we're going to get it? Well, if you believed on Christ, you're going to get it. One of these days, we will get the full package of our salvation. I am saved right now, but folks, is my body saved? It, not physically it isn't right now. Now, it's saved. It's going to get it, but it, it hasn't yet. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Now, this is an important thing, too, for these repenting your sins people that they don't understand. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All right, you know, where's my where's my new body? I thought all things become new. You know, where's my new mansion? Where's the new heaven? New well, where's all these new things? I thought all things became new. Now they want to say that you gave up your drinking. Well, what about all my other sins? I thought all things became new. What's, so where's the fulfillment? I'll tell you what it is. Right now, all things become new spiritually for us. And if you read that passage, what is it that's changed? Our sins are not imputed unto us. And so because of that, we are now guaranteed salvation. And one of these days, literally, all things will be new. When's that going to be? Well, 1 John 3, 2 says... Beloved, now now 
are we the sons of God? And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So when we see him, we're going to receive the new body. We're going to receive that. And then in Revelation 21, in Ver, at Revelation 21, that's where he talks about the new heaven, the new earth. So there's going to be death, no more death, you know, sorrow or crying, there should be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And then what does it say there in Revelation 21? It says, Behold, I make all things new. Wait a minute, I thought you already did that in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Well, we got the shadow of it right now. We have the promise of it right now. And in the eyes of God, having the promise of something is as good as having that thing. You say, well, okay, well, where's my new body? You're going to get it. Okay? We don't have it right now, but we're going to get it. And so that, that all things become new, folks, that's only been spiritually fulfilled. And that's what these guys are missing that want to act like if you haven't changed everything, that you're not really saved. No, we haven't got our new body yet. We haven't seen Christ yet. We have the promise of those things. I haven't got my mansion yet, but folks, I have a mansion. I have one. It's, it's, it's there. It's been promised to me. I've not got to see it yet. I've not got to enjoy it yet. But I do have the promise of it. And one of these days, I physically will get the fulfillment. So you all see how these are things that we've experienced. We have experienced the shadow of these things. One of these days, we are literally going to receive these things. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I love this one right here. And you know what? What I'm about to say might not be 100% theologically accurate, what's about to come out of my mouth. But, you know, it, it's how I, it, this is how I look at this. All right? uh, look what it says in verse 54. So when this corruptible shall I put on incorruption, and this mortal shall I put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? So let me ask you. When this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. Now let me ask you, is that happened yet? All right, no, physically that has not happened yet. But notice that statement he makes after he says that. After he says that, in the present, he says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Now let me ask you, do we say that? Can we say that? Can we? There's a song I know about that that uses those words. Can we sing that now, or are we supposed to wait and sing it later? I say we sing it now. So, but wait a minute. Death still hurts right now. Death still stings right now. Well, physically maybe, but spiritually it doesn't. The Bible says to be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. I just had somebody this week tell me on YouTube that he looks forward to the day when I when I'm burnt alive or something like that, and I just said, hey. It may come to that one of these days. They can kill me, but they can't keep me dead. And he's like, oh, trust me, you'll stay dead. And I said, that's what they said about Jesus. And you know what, folks? That's exactly how I feel about that. I'm not saying I want to die right now, but if I do die right now, I'm not done. Death can't do to me what it can do to the lost. And I say right now, you know, oh, grave, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? I don't care. If I, if I have to put a loved one of mine in the grave and I put some of my loved ones in the grave, yeah, they're in the grave right now, and they look like they're victorious right now, but you know what? They're not victorious right now. One of these days, my loved one's coming out of that grave that's saved. 
And I have the promise of that. And if I want to enjoy it as though it's already happened, I'm going to do it. You know what that's called? That's called faith. And and just like we were talking about this morning in Sunday school, all these prophecies that have been fulfilled, there is no reason for us to doubt the other ones aren't going to be fulfilled. So right now, you know what? I say right now, oh, grave, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? I'm going to say it right now. I'm going to sing the songs right now. Yes, physically it has not come to pass, but spiritually it has. And so I'm going to sing it as though it's already happened. I'm going to sing about my mansion. How do we sing that song? Do we sing it, I'll get a mansion? Just over the, We don't sing it, I'll get. We sing, I've got. Past tense. That's how we are as Christians because we have the promise of these things. Therefore, we are guaranteed the, the physical fulfillment. But oftentimes in the Bible, it, it is written, oftentimes it's written in a way like you've got it. Sometimes it's written in a way like it's coming. Well, which is true. Both of them are true. Bo- both of them are true. So these are, these are examples we've experienced in our own life. If you're saved today, death has no victory over you. The grave cannot conquer you. And Well, what if I die? Well, then you're not going to stay dead. You've got the promise of of resurrecting one of these days, so it is not victorious. It might think it is for a little while, but it's not. And I want it on my tombstone. This is the temporary resting place of Tommy McMurtry. I want that on my tombstone. It's temporary. Because I'm not planning on staying there. I'm planning on getting out of there. Don't cremate me. Bury me. And mark it temporary. Because I'm getting back up. You say, well, if you get cremated, God can't... Re-. Yeah, he can still resurrect a bunch of ashes. But you know what? I, you know, when you burn something, you burn it because you just you want to be rid of it. You don't want to ever see it again. But, you know, we bury things that we might want to get back one of these days. And that, that shows our faith in the resurrection. And I'm that sure that I'm going to be resurrected. I want a coffin, and I want to be buried. And... Don't 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 burn me up. I, I do not believe in cremation for Christians. All right, if you're if you're lost, go ahead and burn them up. I guess. I mean, I guess they're going to resurrect too, just to be cast into hell later. But if you're if you're saved, you know, I, I think you ought I think you ought to be buried. That's another subject for another day. So you know, you can say this hasn't happened yet, but spiritually it has happened. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And, folks, I can say that. You know, I'll never die. Oh, yeah, you are. Well, yeah, okay, physically, I might drop dead one of these days. But to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. That's not death. God's not the God of the dead, but of the living. So these are all things that we claim right now, but we have not experienced these things yet, have we? But we will literally one of these days. We literally will be in heaven. We literally will have a mansion. We literally are going to resurrect from the dead. There is literally going to be a new heaven and a new earth. The new heaven and the new earth is not the New Testament age as these people. That's what they teach. It's that that was the end of the old world, the old testament age, the new heaven, that's that new age that we're in right. We're in the new heaven and new earth. Well, you know what the new heaven and new earth then stinks. Alright? Uh, this isn't what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that heavenly country, the same one Abraham was looking for. And that is literally going to come to pass. Now if you want to say spirit you know, spiritually we're in a new world, you know, we're in the yeah, but 
okay, fine, you know, yeah, who, who, you know, we're, thing, things did change in the New Testament, you know, for the better in a lot of ways, but literally, no, the world's the same, folks. We're, we're having all the same problems, we're all still dying, we're, all, we're having all the same sicknesses, I mean, it, it's not different. There is death, sorrow, crime, all those things, none of those things have passed away. So often in the New Testament, you see things written as though they had happened in one place, and in another place, it'll be written as though it has not happened. And one, the difference, sometimes it's speaking in a spiritual way, other times it's speaking in a more literal way, and, other, and sometimes it's spoken in a prophetic way. Sometimes prophecies are given as though they've already happened. And, and, and when you see a prophecy that's given as though it's already happened, that's one, you can mark her down, it's going to happen. Sometimes they would give a prophecy that was in a future way because there was a way out of it. You know, if they'd repent or something like that. But uh, when it's written as though it's already happened, there's no change in that one. That, that, one, that one's done. So with the preterists, though, what they miss, they miss the literal. They often find the spiritual things... You know, what they'll do when it talks about the resurrection, they'll show examples in the scriptures where, yes, spiritually we've done it. Yeah, and you have he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sin. There's your resurrection right there. Well, spiritually, yeah, spiritually, Ephesians 2 shows that we've been quickened, we've been resurrected. But there's going to be a, there's going to be a literal one, too. And the Bible's real clear, we already covered that, that there is a literal one that's coming, but that's what they don't believe in. They don't believe in the literal fulfillment. They only believe... In the spiritual, these people are modern-day Sadducees who do not believe in a resurrection. And that's not good. That's not a good, you know, usually, most of the time in the New Testament talks about the Pharisees, like but the Sadducees were bad too. I think, the, I think the Sadducees actually had worse doctrine than the Pharisees. So, you know, we could, we could do a whole series of sermons on things that the Bible says that we have, but yet we don't have. You know, but in the eyes of God and in the eyes of faith, having the promise of something and literally having something are the same thing. Why is that? Because God declares, you know, he, he sees the end from the beginning. So when you got saved, you know, he's, he already seen us in the glorified body. You know, so as far as God's concerned, we have it. God's already seen the resurrection. God's already seen the rapture. and he, he's, he's seen it all. And as far as God is concerned, it is done. That's why Jesus Christ is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That's why they were still able to go to heaven in the Old Testament. Because even though Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet, they had the promise of the cross. Therefore, they were able to go to heaven. God wasn't up in heaven thinking, well, what if, what if we fail? What if we don't come through? That's not that God doesn't have to worry about that. So, you know, John, you don't have to turn these verses just real quick. You know, John twenty twenty nine. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, yet have believed. That's what God wants from us. That's the way we ought to be. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. By faith he forsook Egypt, talking about Moses, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. You know, that's the, Well, I thought nobody seen God at any time. Moses saw him. He saw him who was invisible. How do you do that? How do you see something that's invisible? You know what it's called? It's called faith. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. 
So do you all realize that if you believe that you will see Jesus one day, you've, you've already seen him. Uh, we've, we've, as far as we're concerned, but if you haven't seen him yet, hey, when I got saved, I've as good as seen him. And now that's not, that's not good enough for those who aren't of faith. But for us, that's enough, isn't it? We do. We believe we're saved. You know, it's by faith. So now we've established this concept of dual fulfillment. I want to look at one more thing. Um, let's go to Daniel chapter 9. Because this is one of the passages that preterists, historicists often butcher. And look what it says in verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the, thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous time. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince shall come and shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with the flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured Upon the desolate. Okay? Now, what a lot of people are saying, especially on this side, they will, they will try to say that the he there is referring to the Messiah. Okay? That is wrong. All right? Now, let me prove beyond any shadow of a doubt that the he that shall confirm the covenant is not talking about the Messiah. Okay? I'm going to give you concrete proof. Okay? First off, go to chapter 8. This is proof number one I'm going to give you. Daniel chapter 8 proves once that it's the little horn, the Antichrist, that takes away the daily sacrifice. It says in verse 9, And out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven. And it cast down some of the host and the stars of the ground and stamped upon them. Doesn't that sound familiar from Revelation? You drew a third part of the stars talking about the dragon. Yea, yea he magnified himself. Even to the prince of the host. What's the Antichrist going to do? He's going to magnify himself above all that is called God. So so that he is God. So in the temple of God showing that he is God. So, and he magnified himself even to the prince of the host. And by him the daily sacrifice was taken away. And the place of his sanctuary was cast down. And an host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression. And it cast, it, and it cast down the truth to the ground and it practiced and prospered. The, so note right there, it's very clear, the one who stops the oblation and the daily sacrifice is the Antichrist. So the he there cannot be talking about the Messiah because of the fact that the chapter right before flat out tells us that it's the Antichrist that stops that. Alright, but here's what people say, but wait a minute, you know, you gotta look at the antecedent of he. You know, you gotta look at the last person he talked about. Let me show you what you're missing there. This is, this is what people are missing on that. You can, so Now watch this. That we see two princes in Daniel chapter 9. And we see them in chapter 8. The prince, the Antichrist, is with a little p. The prince, the Messiah, is always with a big p. 
Now, all right, now watch this. It goes, look at verse 11 of chapter 8. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince, little p, of the host, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of the sanctuary was cast down. Verse 25, and through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince, capital P, of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. Now let's go back to chapter 9 and verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince, capital P, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks, uh, and the street shall be built again, the wall even in troublous time, and after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the Prince, little p, that shall come and destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with the flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. The he is referring to the prince little p, not prince big p. So proof is right there in that verse, and if there's any doubt, verse 8 removes that doubt. So the last he that is referred to, in verse 27 it says, and he shall confirm a covenant with many, it's referring to the prince with a little p. So there's literally no way to make the he there the Messiah. That's a weird teaching that I, I can see how on the surface it can be kind of confusing if you're not paying attention. But the, that's what a lot of the preterists teach. And they try to say that when Jesus died on the cross, that was him causing the sacrifice and the ablation to cease. Or another way I've heard it interpreted too is 70 AD when that came. They say that was the coming of Christ in judgment. And there, so whenever the Bible a lot of times talks about the coming of Christ, like in Revelation 19, that was what happened in 70 AD. And so Jesus, at his coming in judgment, he caused the sacrifice of Galatians. No, this is talking about the Antichrist that does that. It's not Jesus. So right there it just shows these people's messed up interpretation. They get this all goofed up, and then they try to laugh at us because we teach a gap between the 69th and the 70th week. But I already showed you in Matthew chapter 24 how the reason that there's that gap is because nobody knows the day or the hour. Nobody knows why there's a gap. Nobody knows why, how long it's going. And even Jesus didn't know. And they want to laugh about our 2,000-year gap, but they've got a 40-year gap. So, you know, they're being a hypocrite with that. That's all there is to it. And so I, I, I'm showing you this passage too because this is a passage that preterists get wrong, but also... Because of the fact that I do believe that a shadow of the abomination of desolation has happened. I, I believe that. And I'm running out of time here. I kind of wanted to cover the Maccabees just so somebody can accuse me of being a heretic. But um, in, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, it says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. And now if you go to Maccabees, First Maccabees chapter one. Don't, hopefully, it's not in any of your Bibles. Unless we got some Catholics out there. But in verse ten, it says, "And there came out of them a wicked root Antiochus named Epiphanes, the son of Antiochus the king, who had been a hostage at Rome, and he reigned in the hundred thirty and seventh year of the kingdom of the Greeks. In those days went there out of Israel wicked men who persuaded many, saying, Let us go make a covenant with the heathen that are round about us, for since we departed from them." We have had much sorrow. 
So this device pleased them well, and certain of the people were so forward herein that they went to the king who gave them license to do after the ordinances of the heathen. And we don't have time to go through all that, but what was prophesied in Daniel, folks, there is no doubt, you read Maccabees, it like came to pass during his day, but that was the shadow. And you say, well, but here's proof is that Jesus said it hasn't happened yet. Because look at what it says. In, well, you can't look. Verse 44, for the king had sent letters by messengers unto Jerusalem and the cities of Judah that they should follow the strange laws of the land and forbade burnt offerings and sacrifice and drink offerings. They caused the sacrifice and oblation of the seas and the temple that they should profane the Sabbath and festival days and pollute the sanctuary and holy people, set up altars and groves and chapels of idols, and sacrifice swine's flesh and unclean beasts, that they should also leave their children uncircumcised and make their souls abominable with all manner of uncleanness and profanation. To the end they might forget the law and change all the ordinances, and whosoever would not do according to the commandment of the king, he said he should die in the selfsame manner, wrote he, to his whole kingdom and appointed overseers over all the people, commanding the cities of Judah to sacrifice city by city. Then many of the people were gathered unto him to wit, every one that forsook the law. So they committed evils in the land and drove the Israelites into secret places and wheresoever they could flee for succor. Now the 15th day of the month Kislu, in the 140th year, they set up the abomination of desolation upon the altar and build an idol altars throughout the cities of Judah on every side. They say, well, folks, that's Maccabees. You know, that, well, I believe this happened, like they said. But I do not believe that that was the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 9. Because Jesus told, he said to them in that day, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, therefore it had not happened yet. Well, then what was this? It was a shadow. And you know, sometimes there were multiple shadows in prophecy. Because this is another interesting fact. We don't have time to look at this. I believe Daniel's chapter 7. If you go back and read Daniel chapter 7 when it talks about the abomination of desolation, because it talks about uh, you know, the Antichrist magnifying himself. I believe that's referring, you know, that chapter is talking about the Roman army that was to come that was after the Greek army that we just read about here with the Antiochus Epiphanes situation. I believe that a shadow fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7 happened in about 67, in about 67 AD, around 70 AD. If you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, also not inspired scripture, it says in Fox's Book of Martyrs, after the death of Tiberius succeeded Caligula, Claudius Nero, Domitius Nero, which three were likewise scourges to the Senate and people of Rome. The first commanded himself to be worshipped as God. So that he that is worshipped as God, says the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, says, and temples to be erected in his name, and used to sit in the temple among the gods, requiring his image to be set up in all temples, and also in the temple of Jerusalem, which caused a great disturbance among the Jews, and then began the abomination of desolation spoken of in the gospel to be set up in the holy place. Did y'all see that right there? According to Fox's Book of Martyrs, it happened. And you know what? I believe that story happened too. There's a lot of examples in history where you can read about what happened there in the temple. I do believe that happened. 
But you know what? It wasn't exactly like what we see in the Bible, was it? Because do we see the mark of the beast after that? Now, I've heard the predators try to spiritualize that, and it's real stupid. Try to say 666 was the number of Nero's name. All right, that's stupid. And Nero was dead and gone by the time Revelation was written anyway. Okay? But, folks, what happened? It was a shadow fulfillment. That shouldn't be a surprise to any of us, seeing that we see that over and over again in the Scriptures. But here's what we didn't see during that time. We didn't see Jesus return in the clouds and gather up his elect. We didn't see any of that happen. We didn't see his kingdom set up like was prophesied, literally. Now, you, if you want, you can go and you can spiritualize some things. But yes, those are just the shadows of those things. Okay? Yes, I'm saved now. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to get a new body one of these days. Yes, I've been quickened right now spiritually. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to resurrect physically one of these days. Just like the Bible says. So that's where the preterists are wrong. They're focusing on the shadow fulfillment, and they are rejecting the literal fulfillment. And that right there is causing them great error. We can't just believe in a spiritual resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have to believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we've got one coming too. So while this is very similar, it's not exactly the same as what we see in Matthew 24. There's many things missing. No, We don't... There is no example in history that shows nobody being able to buy or sell without a mark in their hand or forehead. There's nothing in history that shows anything like that. We don't see anybody being beheaded for not taking the mark. Okay, This was only a shadow of that event. And you know what? I personally believe that when Jesus said, this generation shall not pass while all these things be fulfilled, I do think in one way that was a reference to what was to come in 70 A.D., and that, that generation wouldn't pass. But that was also, a once again, a shadow of what was to come. But literally what is going to happen is still yet to come, and when we see the abomination of desolation, our generation is not going to pass. One of these days, we literally will see that fulfilled. And it might sound like I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth when I do that, but I do believe that this generation was referring to that generation in that day who saw all those things. But I also believe it's referring to the generation that's to come that will see all those things. That sees the literal things that are to come. And this is not inconsistent in any way with how God operated through the entire Bible. We see that over and over again. And you know what? We don't want to. We, we cannot let people get deceived in this thing because if, if we're going to reject these literal things, you will miss out on salvation because of the fact that we do have to believe in a literal resurrection. The Apostle Paul made it clear in 1 Corinthians 15: if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. You've got you've got to believe in these things. They literally are going to come to pass, and just it's just an interesting study. There's so many more things that you could look at, especially in the major and minor prophets, just dual fulfillment after dual fulfillment. I mean, you know, we can go to Jonah, see the examples there of things that happened with Jonah, but Jesus fulfilled those. I mean, you know, we've talked about a lot of these things in the past. And that, that right there is one of the main things they're missing. They're looking at a historical event that in many ways is similar to what the Bible prophesied and then what they do, they try to spiritualize all the difference. That is a huge mistake. Let's believe in the literal. 
We, and that's why many people's doctrinal statements, you know what it says? We believe in the literal, visible, physical return of Jesus Christ. It's a way to distinguish themselves from the preterists who only believe in a spiritual return of Christ. No, we, we believe in the literal. And we're looking for it, for it, and I'm looking forward to it. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. This is such an amazing book we have, Lord. Your prophecies that are in there, they're just they're, they're too much for our minds to contain, Lord. I, I know I only scratch a service on this subject, and so many things in there that, uh, Lord, are, are just almost feel like over my head sometimes. Lord, help us when we see these things to... Just be amazed at you and be amazed at your word and help it to just challenge us to try to learn more and understand more about you. And we do thank you for the promises you've given us. And I pray you'll help all of us to enjoy these promises as though we've already physically got them, Lord. And we do. We thank you that we can say we are saved right now. And I pray you'll help us to, to live in that victorious way. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and.